volume one chapter nine part two of a popular history of england from the earliest times to the reign of queen victoria this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. a popular history of england from the earliest times to the reign of queen victoria by francois pierre guillaume guizot chapter nine part two it was on the second of may twelve fifty eight famine reigned throughout the kingdom henry the third had been reduced to the necessity of convoking parliament when he entered westminster hall the barons were awaiting him there clad in their armour on hearing the clanking of arms at his arrival the king suddenly turned pale am i a prisoner he said nervously no said roger bigod earl of norfolk but your foreign favourites and your own extravagance have reduced the country to such an abject state of misery that we demand that the power may for the future be vested in a committee of bishops and barons in order that they may root out all the abuses and make good laws for us one of the lusignans began to protest the king agreed without any reservation to the demand of the barons who promised in return to help him pay his debts and to support the pretensions of his son in italy provided that he would give proofs of his sincerity at the reassembling of parliament which was to be convoked at oxford at the head of the barons in their resistance and indignation against foreigners was simon earl of leicester himself a foreigner the youngest son of simon of montfort the persecutor of the albigenses he had inherited the earldom of leicester through his mother and had recovered his property which had been confiscated in twelve thirty two through the favour of king henry who had taken a fancy to the young provencal whom he had aided in marrying his sister eleanor widow of the earl of pembroke to the great indignation of the royal family and the nobility of england the favour of the king was short-lived montfort had initiated himself into the good graces of the barons who had been so violently opposed to him at first and the king jealous and uneasy drove him from england in twelve thirty nine scarcely allowing the earl time enough to embark with his wife who went with her husband to france he left her to assume the cross and proceed to palestine where he distinguished himself by glorious feats of arms on his return the king had forgotten his jealousy and anger the earl lived peaceably in england and even raised to the dignity of governor of gascony he was recalled in 1252 under the pretense of misbehavior and young prince edward was provided with the office thus snatched from the earl of leicester who grew more and more attached to the cause of the refractory barons of whom he became the real chief the king's disorderly habits and want of foresight having at length reduced him to the last extremities he decided on confronting the parliament assembled at oxford on the 11th of june 1258 the whole town was filled with men-at-arms all the barons had brought a numerous following with them they presented to the king the list of the council who were to be entrusted with the administration of the kingdom twelve members were to be elected by the king and twelve by the barons this assembly presided over by the earl of leicester was to be invested during twelve years with the care of the royal castles no expense could be occurred against their will. They held possession of the great seal, and were to revise the accounts of the chancellor and of the treasurer. 
the king was to be compelled to convoke parliament three times a year henry agreed without hesitation to these humiliating conditions just as his father king john had signed magna carta prince edward whose conscience would not allow him to take oaths as lightly as his father had done at first made a show of resistance but ended by acceding to the wishes of the barons his cousin henry son of richard of cornwall who was then known as the king of the romans declared that his oath would not be valid if made in the absence of his father let your father have a care said leicester if he refused to do the bidding of the barons of england for in that case he shall not remain in possession of one foot of land in the kingdom the young nobleman accordingly took the oath the king's brothers had refused to give up the castles which they occupied i will have them or you shall lose your head montfort declared to william of valence and he made such formidable accusations against them at the council that the four brothers took refuge in walsham castle the barons pursued them made them prisoners and sent them out of the kingdom the acts of the parliament of oxford the mad parliament as the royalists called it were strictly observed throughout the kingdom the barons had taken every precaution against a feeble or improvident government but they had not been able to guard against the temptations of triumphant ambition the offices left vacant after the departure of the king's favourites were filled up by the favourites of the earl of leicester his allies began to grow alarmed at his great power the king of the romans who had recently returned to england after having taken the oath of allegiance to the acts of the barons endeavoured to create rivals to the earl the barons violent and haughty insulted the king and oppressed the people why are you so bold with me my lord earl said henry to roger bigod do you not know that i could order all your corn to be destroyed indeed sir king said the earl and could i not send you the heads of the destroyers the dissensions among the barons reawakened the hopes of the king he had provided himself with a dispensation from the pope which relieved him of his oaths and in february twelve sixty one he ventured to announce to the barons that they had greatly abused their powers and that he the king of england intended for the future to govern without them he had at the same time taken possession of london prince edward who had recently returned from france had on the contrary tendered his support to the barons out of respect for his oath as he said the king saw a certain number of his adversaries drawing nearer to him and in spite of the rebellion of the nobility the temporary success of the king compelled leicester to escape to france swearing that he would never again trust to the oath of a perjured sovereign in twelve sixty three the struggle had just begun afresh the great earl as leicester was called had raised his standard the king had taken refuge in london and prince edward was at windsor castle queen eleanor who was even more detested in the city than the king her husband had endeavoured to escape by way of the thames the people had recognised her and her bark had been pelted with mud and stones cries were heard of let us drown the witch the lord mayor of london had some difficulty in protecting her the king had given up everything and agreed to everything but only to attack his adversaries again in the month of june arming himself against them with the earl of leicester's claim that the authority of the barons in the government was to be continued after henry's death under the reign of his successor prince edward's scruples disappeared before this arrogant audacity 
and he openly embraced his father's cause. The bishops made an effort to put an end to the civil war. They proposed to submit the dispute to the arbitration of Louis the Ninth, a noble testimony to the fairness and integrity of a prince who was related to the King of England by family ties. The barons consented at first, but King Louis, although requiring that Henry should respect the great charter, decided that the power should be placed in the king's hands, that the sovereign was free to choose his attendants from among his subjects or from among foreigners, and that the royal castle should be given up. The barons smiled disdainfully at this decision. They had some experience of the king's good faith, and expected to lose all the liberties acquired after so long a struggle, if they did not hold the tokens of them with a firm hand. The civil war recommenced. After alternate successes and reverses, the two armies met on the plains of Lewes in Sussex. Prince Edward violently attacked a body of citizens of London, who had followed Leicester to the field of battle. He was anxious to avenge the insult which his mother had suffered. He pursued the unfortunate soldiery, whose lines were soon broken by the king's cavalry. But in his absence, fortune declared itself in favor of the Earl of Leicester. When Edward reappeared upon the field of battle, the king was a prisoner, as well as his brother, the king of the Romans. The prince soon suffered the same fate. The Lusignans fled and again made their escape from England. Leicester was now master of the situation. The sovereign and the heir apparent served him as hostages. His power soon became greater than that of the king had been at any time. Having been excommunicated by the pope, he took no notice of the sentence, notwithstanding his sincere piety. Rome had abused its power, and a great number of the English clergy were favorable to Leicester, and supported his cause as that of the people who adored the earl. Strong in his popularity, Leicester thought himself able to triumph over all his rivals. He compelled the barons who had sided with the king to give up their castles to him, causing them to be tried by their peers, and then banishing them to Ireland. On a demonstration being made by a fleet which had been raised in France by Queen Eleanor, he gathered together soldiers from all the boroughs and cities to resist the invaders, while he himself, taking up his position at the head of the English squadron, was cruising in the channel, awaiting the enemy. The Queen's vessels did not dare to leave port, and Leicester returned in triumph to England. At the beginning of the year 1265, the Earl had convened a Parliament, and for the first time the representatives of the counties and the towns had taken their seats beside the barons and prelates. Leicester knew where his real strength lay, and looked for support from the body of the people. All that was decreed by the Parliament, as thus constituted, was favorable to the Earl. A certain amount of liberty was, however, granted to Prince Edward, who was nevertheless watched closely. He soon learnt to profit by the amelioration in his condition. Issuing forth one day from Hereford Castle, he organized races among his guards, reserving to himself the right of awarding the prize. Then, when all the horses were exhausted with the exception of his own, he galloped off until he met Roger Mortimer one of his friends who was coming from the frontiers of Wales, to join him. The party of resistance to the barons therefore had a chief, and after a year of supreme power, Leicester was destined to discover the uncertainty of human affairs. The earl had five sons, 
the three eldest were more violent more tyrannical and more greedy than all the foreigners who had formerly surrounded the king henry of montfort had seized upon all the wool intended for exportation and sold it for his own benefit guy and simon of montfort had armed a fleet and were taking possession of any merchantmen that they chanced to come across without distinction of parties they added thus daily to the number of their enemies and were quietly undermining the power of their father the earl of derby and the young earl of gloucester formerly sincerely devoted to leicester embraced the cause of prince edward who seeing his forces swell rapidly advanced towards kenilworth castle the hereditary property of the earls of leicester simon of montfort the earl's second son had just arrived there he was marching to meet his father who was endeavouring with little success to raise an army in vain did he summon the king's vassals to come and serve under his standards his supporters were not many prince edward attacked simon's camp just outside kenilworth made a large number of prisoners and captured all the enemy's baggage simon had only time to take refuge in the castle but was unable to join his father when the latter arrived at evesham on the fourteenth of august twelve sixty five a number of banners were perceptible in the distance and the earl's barber declared that he recognized the arms of simon go up into the church steeple and you will see better said leicester the barber was trembling with fear when he came down he had seen the lions of england the red chevron of the earl of gloucester the azure bars of the mortimers and innumerable lances glistened underneath the banners we are dead men my lord said he the earl was observing the order of battle of the enemy they have learnt from me how to conduct themselves he said calmly may the lord have mercy on our souls for by the arms of st james our bodies belong to the prince and re-entering his residence he prepared as usual for the fight by prayer and the sacrament his son henry was encouraging him i do not despair my son said the earl your presumption and the pride of your brothers have brought us to this but i will die for the cause of the lord and justice he had caused the feeble king to be armed and had taken them about with him everywhere the standard of england was displayed by both armies the earl was endeavouring to open up a road towards kenilworth his most devoted adherents had formed a circle round him the prince still pushed forward in front of him a horseman had just fallen from his steed save me cried a plaintive voice i am henry of winchester edward sprang forward and raising up his wounded father dragged him into a place of safety in his absence the voice of the earl resounded upon the field of battle is any quarter given he asked no quarter for traitors cried a royalist triumphantly and at the same moment henry of montfort fell at his father's feet by the arm of st james it is time to die cried leicester who plunged headlong into the surging crowd holding his sword with both hands and striking down all who came in his way he fell at length as well as the knights who still surrounded him scarcely a dozen remained standing when prince edward sent for the body of the earl his godfather and that of his cousin henry to transport them to the abbey of evensham the body of leicester was decapitated and his hands were severed from his arms the head was carried to lady mortimer by her husband's savage warriors thus died simon the just as he was called by the people of england a sincere man 
animated by more noble sentiments than most of his contemporaries haughty and ambitious without being cruel a man who had rendered great services to his country before allowing himself to abuse his power by the very thirst for authority and popularity the remembrance of him remains sacred among the people who would assemble round his tomb and invoke his protection devoutly complaining of his not having been canonized his sons took refuge on the continent after having retained possession for some time of kenilworth castle the younger ones remained with their mother who was generously treated by her nephew edward the two eldest guy and simon accomplished their revenge by murdering five years later at viterbo their cousin henry of almain in a church while mass was being celebrated they disappeared after this crime the house of montford had fallen forever the king had regained his sceptre delivered the prisoners and called back the exiles who had been banished by the great earl but the victory gained by leicester survived his defeat in the parliament convened at winchester in the month of september twelve sixty five the king did not dare to repudiate the liberties acquired by england the city of london alone lost its charter but the severe sentences pronounced against leicester's partisans excited a series of insurrections which prince edward had great difficulty in quelling the want was felt of loosing the reins of government and of restoring some trust to the vanquished a committee composed of bishops and barons was entrusted to draw up the conditions of peace and their decision known under the title of the dictum of kenilworth was confirmed by the king in the parliament the efforts of the pope the uprightness and good sense of prince edward and the weariness of all parties at length brought about a general cessation of hostilities on the eighteenth of november twelve sixty seven more than two years after the battle of evensham the parliament which had assembled at marlborough adopted several of the liberal guarantees formerly proposed by the earl of leicester the last of the patriots as they called themselves who still held the isle of ely laid down their arms the citizens of london received a fresh charter and the country was at peace scarcely had peace been secured when prince edward took advantage of it to assume the cross as did also his wife eleanor of castile and his cousin henry of almain they made sail in the month of july twelve seventy louis the ninth had just set out on his second crusade and prince edward a great admirer of his uncle of france was hastening to join him when henry of almain who had been sent upon a secret mission to italy was assassinated by his cousins the montforts this blow was fatal to the old king of the romans who died in the month of december twelve seventy one eleven months afterwards on the sixteenth of november twelve seventy two his brother king henry the third also died he was interred in westminster abbey but before being lowered into the grave the earl of gloucester placed his naked hand upon the corpse took an oath of fidelity to king edward i the other barons followed his example king henry was sixty-five years of age and had reigned fifty-six king only in name feeble and frivolous he had seen the liberties of his people grow greater under his eyes and against his wish his son who was still vainly contending against them was destined to derive from the free support and energetic ardor of the english nation the strength which served him throughout his wars and conquests
End of chapter 9, part 2